Good afternoon, and welcome to the Voice of Wisdom. With over 60 years of experience as an investment banker, entrepreneur, investment analyst, economist, and venture capitalist, Morty Davis is Wall Street and capitalism personified. The over 400 companies for which he has raised more than $3 billion over the years have created a countless number of jobs and exciting new products. Through the Voice of Wisdom, Mr. Davis explores, analyzes, and debates the most topical political, economic, and social issues facing our world today. Joining Mr. Davis today for a discussion on what's facing us in 2023 is Ellie Stoller. And now, Mr. Davis and Mr. Stoller. Welcome back to my precious, uh, most cherished um, uh, participants and indeed partners in the podcast, The Voice of Wisdom. You all helped make The Voice of Wisdom a true uh, stop uh, off for acquiring the wisdom that will hopefully enhance your lives, especially now as we start a new year with a clean slate uh, and uh, we can get all, all, all kind of ideas together evolve all kinds of ideas together that will make it for an uplifting uh, um, and fulfilling happy year uh, through our own behavior. Not not to look to others. Uh, happiness begins with with your own attitude and your own decide, decision to be happy. Uh, just as I wrote in my book, uh, uh, I don't know if you heard about it, but it's a the greatest book on happiness ever. It's called Happiness Guaranteed or Your Misery Back. You should get a copy if you can't afford it. If you can't afford it, drop me a note. Show them the book. If you can't afford it, drop me a note and I'll, I'll treat you to it. I promise. <laughs> anyway, so let's, let's start off with um, some of the... Um, Ways uh, that we can ensure that it's it's it is a happier year. Fundamentally, the first thing is it's up to you. You know, it's not up to uh, God to make you happy. It's not up to others to make you happy. If you start out with the attitude that you're going to be happy, you can increase dramatically, overwhelmingly, your ability to be happy or the prospect of your happiness uh, this coming year and for the rest of your existence. So, you know, the view is, most people have the view that the people that uh, are seemingly the happiest, you know, the ones like Bill Gates or, uh, or um, uh, the guy who runs Tesla, uh, Musk, Elon Musk, uh, these guys must be the happiest because they're so wealthy. But amazingly, if you get to know them, they're definitely not the most thankful. And since they're not the most thankful, they're not the happiest. The most thankful people are the happiest. The ones that every day get up and say, thank God, my health. I have my health today. Thank uh, uh, the, the lucky, my lucky stars that everything, my kids are okay, my job is secure, I'm making a decent living. They're not saying, you know, i got to have a, 
I got to beat the, 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 my neighbor to, to more money. Uh, two of the happiest people I ever knew were my two brother-in-laws who never had big jobs, who never had even aspirations to have uh, major uh, paying jobs. One, one uh, developed first as a teacher and then became a principal in the New York City school system. Uh, the other one was a psychiatrist. Interestingly enough, he was embarrassed by uh, discussions of sex, and he he treated mostly uh, many uh, uh, military uh, veterans, veterans, uh, war veterans, and uh, one of their major issues were were often related to sex. And the minute they brought up sex discussion, he said, "Well, could we?" Could we sort of uh, move the subject to something less less sensitive? But uh, but they really were happy because they made up their minds that God is with them. Whatever happens is good. They believe in in, in the ultimate goodness of of the Lord and that He would make them uh, their lives fulfilled, fulfilling, and uh, and they spent their time with their kids, they invested in their kids, uh, they enjoyed the simple things in life, the meals with their kids, Sabbath with, the, with their kids and their family, uh, conversations and learning with their kids and their buddies and their friends, all things that were enjoyable that were, didn't require a lot of intensive competition, but really were, were on, the, on the side of being helpful and cooperative with with your fellow man, and and one of the most rewarding things you'll find I found is uh, what I gave away. The best money I ever earned is the money I gave away to build to give away free scholarships at Mount Sinai uh, Medical School all the way back to 1974. I get letters all the time from students that I couldn't. I've, I've been a doctor. I could, without your help, I couldn't have afforded to go. A uh, 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 college that I built, an advanced college of learning, of Hebrew learning, of of, of um, traditional uh, um, biblical learning, of uh, uh, high school that I built in my community. Uh, a lot of. Um, money that I gave away to politicians, most of it probably was wasted, but at least I induced them to introduce good, um, helpful uh, programs, government programs, to inspire uh, entrepreneurship and so forth. So it, it really is, uh, is true, I think it, the New Testament says, it's better to give than to receive. I, I've always uh, serviced, uh, been responsive to my friends, I take the worst part. I let them give because that's the better one, and I reluctantly uh, but agreeably decide to receive. Without my receiving, they couldn't do that uh, that mitzvah, that good deed. So, uh, anyway, I don't want to uh, deprive my brilliant grandson uh, from uh, raising the questions he has for his generation, uh, you know, it's good to ask old people, but not to. They may not be familiar with with the problems that young people face all the time. 
So let me intro, introduce Eli Stella. He's a genius and one of my favorite people in the whole world. Eli, do you want to say anything? Or? Yeah. Um, thank you. I'm honored. Um, and very, very good introduction. Uh, great advice. Um, we just finished 2022, 2023. Um, this is the first show of 2023. What do you think of New Year's resolutions? Well, I, I think uh, <clears throat> I think people make resolutions that inevitably they're not going to fulfill. They make major resolutions, life-changing resolutions that are hard hard to give live up to. The, the way I find that that I've pregnant the most did. Uh, that I've progressed the most is not uh, to make these major resolutions, but to say, set goals, broad goals for the for the year, for my life, for for my kids, even for for my relationships, goals, and then start with small steps that I can implement. That that's not overwhelming. That not that's not because if you try to make a major change. Inevitably, you're going to be disappointed, and it's hard to keep up with it. And any any problems I've ever had uh, that I became overwhelmed with, there were times when I was suicidal. I was faced with problems. I said, how could I ever deal with this? One time my brother-in-law said, don't deal with the problem. You know, start with step one. You know, you, you, you got to get this out of the way. I, I, when I was young, I was very negligent. I was very irresponsible. I used to drive till my I ran out of gas, always thinking I'll get gas later, and then I wound up walking a mile to, with a with a can to get gas and bring it back. Uh, then I was ne- negligent and attending to. I got tickets, speeding tickets. Uh, 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 passing the light tickets and so forth. So I accumulated a lot of tickets. I was getting, and I wasn't paying for them. I didn't have any money, so I didn't pay for them. One time my brother-in-law came around and he saw I was so depressed. I thought I'm going to kill myself because I was getting letters from the authorities, from the municipality, from New York City. They're going to come and and, uh, take away my car and take away my license and so forth. So, you know, he gave me one idea. He said, look, there's no way you're going to deal with it by dealing the way you do it, thinking about it, worrying about it. He says, stop by paying the first ticket. And by taking that first step, I already started to feel better. And then I did it. I took it over the time, and I needed the car desperately because my, my, my license was taken away for five, for six months. I was driving illegally for six months because my uh, work, required my car to, I was selling uh, merchandise door to door on installments and I had to drive to Staten Island where my uh, route was I called it a route my, my business contacts were or my customers, my clients were so I was I was jeopardizing my whole uh, career driving career uh, reputation career so 
think of a goal that you want to achieve, fulfill, that will add to your, to the quality of your life, to your, uh, to your relationships, to your friendships. There's nothing more rewarding in life than a good friendship, because a good friend you can call on him, you can discuss your most difficult challenges, your biggest problems, and if he's a good friend, he'll he'll first of all give you psychological support. Secondly, he might even give you some ideas of how to resolve it, or even. In many cases, my best friends offered me financial or, or, uh, or uh, idea helps, uh, help, uh, I, not idea helps, but helping to, for me to implement ideas that they said would, have, would make me feel good and better. So in Pirkei Ovas, the, the teaching of our sages and our forefathers, it says, that it's so important, friendship is so important that you should buy yourself a friend. Buy yourself. It doesn't mean that you, you know, you bribe somebody. Or they, but whatever the cost is in terms of financial or time investment, buy a friend. Because nothing is more important in life. And it helps fulfill so many aspects of your life. But most important, be your own best friend. In other words... When, when things are rough and, and tough, consult with yourself and say, if, I was, if this was my friend, what would I do to help him? And become your own best friend. And that's a great idea. So again, resolutions, you know, everybody makes resolutions, or seemingly everybody makes resolutions. The biggest joke is that by the middle of January, they've already... Uh, violated their commitment to the resolution. Do you make resolutions? Do I make? No, I I make revolutions. (laughs) Okay. So, so, um, as far as setting, setting goals and what, when you set a goal for yourself, um, whether, you know, especially, I think specifically in business, uh, do you, set a specific goal and say, I want to achieve that goal, or do you follow more of a process and you say, here, I'm going to do this process and whatever the results yield, um, you know, that's what it yields. So are you process-oriented, goal-oriented, and where have you found success? No, the first thing, the most important thing is is to clearly define your goal. You know, it's like uh, on a job, for example. Mark Twain says, I've repeated this many times, Mark Twain says, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And people stick to jobs that they hate. Their insecurity doesn't let them change. They feel they're not talented enough. For whatever reasons, and if you don't have the training and you see that you love something, go get that training. So to find the goal, it's like when you start out on a trip, you don't, if you don't define the, the way you, where you want to wind up, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, you're going to get somewhere, but you're not necessarily going to get to the place you started out to, or you're going to get there in a, in a roundabout way, in an, in, in, in an inconvenience, in an, uh, in an effective way. It'll take you much longer. So first, define the goal. Then you know what you're, where you're trying to get to. 
and then see what steps seem to make sense to get to that goal. And don't make it a goal that is, is so tough that uh, you can never fill it. I mean, the small steps that can help you get there. So again, first, like with a job, find out what you love to do. You'll always succeed. And even if you don't succeed uh, financially, you'll succeed in terms of fulfillment. So everything that that works, you know, the guy said, oh, I became an overnight success after I I worked my ass off 40 years. You don't become an overnight success. You become an overnight success by doing all the things, you know. I I think I've said this before in this program. Edison uh, was approached by some gentleman and asked him, how did you stick to you? You know, after you failed a thousand times, each time you failed, how did you keep sticking to to the same thing, you know? And Edison was going one step at a time. Each time he had, had different failures. People thought, why? you got to give up if you fail. And what his view was, I never failed once. He says, a thousand times I succeeded in finding out what didn't work. So each time I got closer to that objective, and he knew his objective was to create a light bulb that, you know, you don't have to light candles every night, have them flicker, kill your eyesight, you couldn't read like you can today. I mean, you know, he made a major breakthrough, a major difference in the quality of of human life. Was there a point in your career or or something that happened um, a moment where you reflected and you're like, okay, I know I'm going to make it or I know I'm going to be successful because of how I've come or was it just something gradually and all of a sudden you look back and you're like, you know, you didn't even notice. No, that you notice, I mean, there's milestones. Uh, the first time I got a, a, like a big check for my, in my case, I was working on commissions on Wall Street, so it, it was easier. I didn't have to ask the boss for a raise. I didn't have to ask him if I was doing well. Each time I did well, I got a bigger check. So not every job has that possibility. But you generally have a sense, even on the most uh, least uh, tangible uh, result every day. In other words, not every job gives you a clue that every day you're doing great. But you have a sense of of the people that you work around, the what you work with, the boss you report to. You can tell if if you're fulfilling his objectives. And if you're good, once and if he's good and he hopes to make you better, he'll compliment you once in a while. And and often that's much more important than than any raise you get or anything, you know. Uh, banks were famous for giving, you know, you went and test them for a raise, they'd give you a, a, a new title, assistant vice president, vice president, oh, you know. And that, that works somewhat, but you report to yourself and, and you, you know yourself if you're doing well on a job. And if you don't feel you're doing well on a job, then you should check it out with your boss. Even ask him, you know, say, I, I really want to do well on this job. 
I, I enjoy working for you. I, um, I want to make it a long-term career. Any recommendations you have that things that I'm doing that I may not be doing effectively or ways that I can do them better, I'd really appreciate it. So yeah, don't, don't be reluctant to ask for help in a humble way, you know, because it's good to get help. Yep. Uh, and I ask all old people, ask successful people, get a mentor, you know, uh, somebody that you admire and you see that they've done well and and you find can articulate to some extent. Not everybody who's successful can, can convey uh, effectively or successfully uh, the message that they have. So get yourself a mentor. It, it, you know, sometimes you look in, uh, in especially in, in Amer- African-American families, these days, you'll find uh, some families, kids brought up by a single mother, the father abandoned them, she has seven kids, and six turn out to be juvenile delinquents, some of them in jail, some even, God forbid, uh, uh, shot or killed or something. And one turns out to be an amazing superstar. And, and you say, well, how is that? You know, they have the same biological background, they had the same schools and everything. It, they didn't have the same. Somewhere along the way, one of them was exposed to a mentor that changed their life. You know, uh, Colin Powell says the way he was, found success, he was brought up in the Bronx, he was a poor kid, he was working in a, for a Jewish guy, he even learned how to speak Yiddish because all the customers were all Jewish uh, ladies and, and all Jewish men and in a, in a hardware store in the Bronx, and they all spoke Yiddish. He learned how to speak Yiddish, and his boss spoke Yiddish to him and spoke English as well. And he says that fellow had the biggest influence on him because he was happy with the job. He wanted to have a lifetime job there, and his boss told him, Colin, I'd love to keep you. You're the greatest employee, but you got a lot on the ball. You should start taking courses that get you into college and gave him good guidance and good advice. The reason I know this story is because Colin Powell tells it and he gave him credit. So he was lucky to have that mentor. So the same with one of the seven kids may have run into a teacher that took time or called him aside after class or, you know, made an investment in him that made a big difference because sadly they don't have role models. One of the reasons I'm in favor of a universal draft is because these kids never had an idea of how to get dressed in the morning, how to get up on time in the morning, how to have some responsibility. So when they go into the uh, service, the military service, they certainly learn uh, finally how to dress, uh, how to meet uh, assignment uh, uh, times, uh, responsibility. It's a very important learning process. So, uh, and it helps the country too. Right. So, um, as far as like working, can you rank these three as far as number one, what you think has importance and what you enjoyed the most? Would you ask her to get me a drink? Um, working, 
right? Doing actual, you know, desk work and, and that kind of, you know, paperwork or, you know, calculations. Um, two, networking. And three, education and reading. How would you rank those in, as far as, you know, our, it, it, you know, how much time a person should devote and, um, you know, which ones do you think is the most important? Well, unquestionably, the most most important early on in life is education. I have one daughter that had uh, allergies, terrible allergies. She couldn't even take her kids to school or stop off at school because if people smoked or had perfume or cologne on or, or anything, they um, she got asthma attacks. So she was always home. She stayed at home. The one good thing about that, she thought it was a curse. It was a blessing because she was a good mother. And she, she was always there when they left for school. She got them ready. When they came home from school, a lot of the other kids, uh, when they were, then, before they left the school, the mother already was out on some uh, appointment to pay, play canasta or to play golf or all kind of different things. And when they came back from school, she was out doing other things. But they, they'd be good, good mothers, good parents, because they'd give their kids $2 and, you know, if I'm not home, go buy yourself something. They paid off. And she, but more than that, because she would, had the time, she invested from the time they were like one year old. She was teaching them to read. All her kids, by the time they were two and a half, were reading, with solving puzzles, were doing artwork. And every one of them now has graduated summa cum laude, straight A students, uh, get any, any kind of career they want. That's unusual, but that's the first thing. As to the others, they, they're really related because in terms of networking, one of the things that I got, I enjoyed the most rewards from in, network, in terms of networking, networking is I worked very hard at school so I could get into Harvard Business School, which was, I discovered the elite school because my father didn't know anything. He never went to college. My mother never went to college. My brother was younger than me, but he went to Brooklyn College before me. And some professor one day mentioned how successful the young people graduating from Harvard Business School it was all male at the time. Now it has females as well. Uh, how successful they were 10 years out. Uh, at that time, though it was the height of the Depression, he mentioned that the average... Ten-year graduate uh, uh, alumni out ten years was making twenty-five thousand dollars a year. That doesn't sound like much today because today the average uh, that was more impressive than to say the average ten-year graduate of Harvard Business School makes twenty-five million. Because more people are making twenty-five million today than twenty-five thousand during the uh, Great Depression. You know, when I graduated Harvard Business School, it was 1959, and the guy who hired me said, we're going to start you with a top salary, higher than anybody else, because most of the other people who hire out of Harvard Business School are not married and have no kids. So we start them with $5,000 a year. 
we're going to start you with $7,500 a year. That was like a big, big number. Today, if they tell you, so Harvard Business School got us, starting with $7,500 a year, the guy would, would laugh in his face. They'd say, what do you mean? You mean they told the guy at McDonald's, month, if you told the guy at McDonald's, $7,500 a year, he would laugh. No, so uh, it's hard to equate the the numbers in terms of, but but I through that experience I networked with the the, the sons and 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 in some cases daughters, even though they were going to Harvard undergraduate, not Harvard Business School or Harvard. Uh, Medical school or something, law school. I met a lot of others, top top people, brilliant people. I think I mentioned this as well. Uh, Harvard professor, uh, president years ago said, "If I had a limited amount of money, the first thing I do in, in terms of investing in the school is build the dorms." He says, "Because yeah. in my experience, the students get the most." out of the education through the interaction of their uh, classmates, of their contemporaries. So the first thing I'd build is, is uh, dorms. He said, if I had additional money, I'd build libraries, because that's where all the information is. They don't need a teacher. They can learn all they want every day, whenever they have time. And it's all available, and uh, through their interaction with their f- classmates, and and hopefully teachers as well, uh, they can advance their lives dramatically. And he said, finally, if I had enough money, I'd build classrooms. So, the networking comes through. Uh, you can only network if you're brought up uh, like these seven kids in a in a home that's you know overwhelmed by poverty and lack of any connections through their mother, through their father, through, through, any, through any mentor. So education is the best route to, to advancement. So what, did what was you, the third one? It was education. Networking. And, and yeah. working. And, and, and like the actual work, part of the work. Well, actual work is once you start out your career, uh, they once uh, interviewed me for a, a thing that used to be pop- very popular, Who's Who in America, that we took out, came out every year and talked about the most successful people. So I was very successful at the time as a young man. So they asked me, what's your favorite saying? So I said, my favorite saying, until this day that's my favorite saying, is the harder you work, the luckier you get. So work, hard at work is very important. But before you could get the work that you want, you gotta at least prepare yourself to get the job. So education is crucial. Right. Um, if you were starting out, I mean, I guess either starting out today or um, just reflecting back on your career, what you had mentioned that doing something that you enjoy doing is important. What did you enjoy doing? Uh, from the work perspective, you know, were you a type of person who liked to sit down and, and crunch numbers? Did you like to make phone calls? 
Did you like to strategize? Did you like to problem solve? What What did you like to do? Did you like to be creative? Marketing? No, I'll tell you, well, in my case, uh, what, I did, what I liked to do uh, mostly was nothing or go to the movies. So I was, as a young kid, I was uh, ho- totally hopeless in terms of my prospects. Even when I got married, my father-in-law and my father were once talking and they said that their aspiration for me was they hoped I'd someday be able to make enough to support my wife and kids. So I didn't have great prospects. I dropped out of school. Uh, I re- rebelled against uh, the learning because I got beat up by my uh, teachers, my rabbis at the time. It was the height of the Depression. They all had hard lives. The rabbis particularly were newly arrived from Poland and Russia and Hungary and, and didn't speak the language. And they, it, was, it was the height of the the depression, so unemployment was 25%. So they were doing this career reluctantly. They weren't happy with it. And uh, they beat, I was five years old, they were beating me up. My father, same thing, couldn't get a job. He had a, uh, he had, in those days, he, he was also religious. He wouldn't work on Saturday in those days. If he didn't work on Saturday, he couldn't get a job. So he started, he was entrepreneurially. He got his own pushcart, and he sold vegetables on the Lower East Side, fruits and the potatoes and what. Anyway, so I dropped out of school when I was 14. I spent a lot of time going to movies. The only thing that remained that was invaluable, that was priceless for me, was the, the respect that they taught me for learning. In Judaism, learning is more important than praying, than, than religious uh, traditions. It's the highest form of serving God if you study his Torah and his teachings. So after I dropped out of school, I went back to school of my, night school of my own volition. And I finally graduated high school when I was like 20. Uh, 21, and then I, and then I, started to study hard because my brother told me about this Harvard Business School, and I decided I'm going to try to get into there. My prospects at the time I learned that of getting in was probably less than zero, but once I dedicated my 24/7 to that activity, I just studied and studied and I locked my kids out of my study room. I had nothing in a room but a desk, and I sat in front of a wall, and I read the textbook for the course from cover to cover over and over again and until I was so bored, but I knew it by heart, and the teacher's notes, and I finally started getting straight A's. And then I uh, graduated top of my class, and I graduated three young kids. My school, Brooklyn College, even put it out uh, PR on my, me and my family because of it took me eight years to graduate, seven years at night and one year the final year at in day college. But so I I'm, I wasn't typical, except to the extent that uh, you got to work hard and you got to make it yourself and you got to help God make it. You know, there's a 
famous, uh, I guess it's a famous lesson, this guy says to God, God, let me win the sweepstakes, the lottery. If you, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give half the winnings to charity, to tzedakah, to, to, to charitable institutions or to, to people that need charity. The lottery happens, he doesn't win. The next time, he says, God, God, let me win the sweepstakes. I'll give two-thirds to charity. Lottery comes, he doesn't win. He doesn't know what to do. The next week he comes, he says, God, let me win the lottery. I'll give 90% to charity. And all of a sudden you hear a voice from heaven, Morty, do me a favor, buy a ticket. You know, you've got to give God a little help. You can't just say whatever God wants. If he wants me to be successful, he'll make me successful. You've got to take the first step. If you take the first step and then the first step leads to the, to the second step, you're going to be successful. And it's the same with your attitude towards happiness. Don't get depressed because you have a failure, because you have reversals. Everybody has reversals. Some have worse reversals than others. But we all have reversals. If we live long enough, we have major tragedies. And you have to overcome that. And you have to take tragedies and make, make a lemon out of the lemonade. Some people are brokenhearted and they stop functioning after they lose a child or they have some major tragedy. And others take that and make it a course celeb. They, they build an institution in the name of that child or, or a cure for cancer or a cure for whatever the kid died from. So get up and double your efforts. So what, and what was your favorite, like what did you enjoy doing? At the at, at the office in your professional career, what which part of it, which aspect of it did you enjoy? Was there a specific? Well, most most jobs, unfortunately, maybe except for the boss, and even the boss. The boss is one of the worst jobs, actually, because when I finally owned the whole company, I found that I was um, giving my employees, I took my key people, that I needed. When I went on a vacation, they were taking two or three weeks off. I tried never to bother them. I took their number, or had them call in to check if they, they were on a ship or something. And I took their number, but I rarely ever bothered to call them because I wanted them to have a real vacation. I didn't want to intrude on it. If an emergency came up, I did call them. But maybe rarely, once in a while. When I was a boss, I left for a vacation. By the time I landed, I had 47 messages, and there were no cell phones at the hotel room I arrived at. I had 47 messages, please call urgent. So I didn't own the business, the business owned me. But in most jobs, at the, at the early stages, you've got to tolerate a lot of boredom, and you're given the, the least... Uh, inspiring jobs to do, the least uplifting jobs, uh, the least fun jobs, and you've got to work your way through that. But then there's always something that you find that you like. And with me, I found work, working with, with young uh, upcoming up businessmen who were starting out and building their business, and we were funding them. I loved that. So I, I couldn't wait to come in in the morning. I, Never rushed to get out at night. 
That doesn't mean I didn't have a lot of disappointments, reversals, guys that I helped a lot, that never reciprocal, you know, that guys that promised to, to pay fees that didn't. There's always disappointments. Even people that you thought were great friends turned out to be, uh, you know, people I lent money to. I should have learned from Lincoln, you know, neither a, a borrower or a lender be, because I lent money, you know, to people that needed help desperately, and they assured me they'd pay me back timely, and I, after the time came, I didn't bug them right away, but I called them, I notified them that the loan matured, and they said, in so many cases, they said, well, you know, right now is not a good time, could I pay you a little later? So I always gave them extensions and extensions, and after a while, I lost some of my good friends that way, because I'd call again, and I'd say, look, it's been over a year, over a year and a half, you said you'd pay it when... So they'd say, well, I'm not doing well, and I can't pay, and I don't know if I'll ever pay, and and stop bugging me, you know, like I became, instead of their friend, I became the guy who harassed them, so... And in addition to losing money, I lost a friend too, so... Mm -hmm. It's not a good idea to borrow money, to yeah. and especially in the stock market, you borrow, you think you got a great stock, and then it, even the greatest story turns out to be sometimes disappointing. Sure. And you bought it on margin, you borrowed, you get you get wiped out. So yeah. it's a good idea not to, not to overextend yourself. Yeah, Zaidi, fill fill in the blank. If a person did blank every day, they are successful. If they did blank every day, no. If they did blank every day, they certainly would be unsuccessful. If they, if they were, I'd, I'd say if they were aware of their, of their goal every day and did little steps, took little steps that they know from experience or they know from their mentor or they know somehow or through books, you can read success books. Uh, I read a book uh, by retired, a retired third baseman from the St. Louis Cardinals, who was a, a ball player, and then after his career ended, he became a salesman, an insurance salesman, and he wrote a book, uh, what was it called, I think it was called, the, was it called The Battle for Survival or something? I don't remember, what, but it was, it was by Frank Petcher, that was the name of the author. He was the third baseman for St. Louis Cardinals. And he was he become the top salesman of an insurance company. And the insurance, he pointed out, you're selling something, you're not even delivering any goods. You're asking people for money, and they're going to get paid, or the rewards, after they die. They won't even get the rewards, their family. And it's a tough sell, you know. And you've got to convince them that that's a good thing, to do with your money now. And... He found all kind of methods to induce people to do that. So for me, that turned out to be, because I was in selling and sales uh, on Wall Street, it helped me enormously. Yeah. And then to be dedicated, because I worked harder. I came out of school with three kids and out of Harvard when I was 30, and other, kids, other guys I was joining at the firm, 
what, 27, 28, 30, they were already making big money. And I was starting out at, what they started me out at, at 7,500, guys were making $100,000 or more by being salesmen. And I, they made me the manager, and I was handling all the problems for, as a manager for all the guys that were making the big money. One day I went down and I said, I don't want to be manager anymore, I don't want a salary. I want to be what, what, do what they do. And after that I just stayed till 9, 10 o'clock at night, came in Saturday night, Sunday all day, and just worked because I was working for myself. I was in business for myself. And the only time I stopped, even though if I was tired, I was young, I had a lot of energy and a lot of motivation. I, I was fighting my distance from the Great Depression. I was born in 1929, when the Great Depression started, the stock market crash started, and everybody I knew was poor and uh, couldn't afford things, so I wanted to always work to distance myself from that poverty. So I worked like I'd make a call at 9.30 at 10 at night, a cold call, and people, a guy would say, you have a hell of a lot of nerve calling at this hour. I figured if, was, if, that, if he said that to me, I wasn't going to make any too much headway, so I went home at that hour. But I, I never gave up working. I made, I didn't take lunch breaks. All, they had a, a room there for the salesmen, or they went out to lunch in many cases. But if they wanted to eat in to be more productive, they had a room there where they took coffee breaks and lunch breaks and, and schmoozed with their buddies a little. And I didn't do any of that because I said I'm starting out. I started out. out uh, I started out uh, with nothing, and I wanted them to get somewhere, and they were already doing okay. So I told my secretary, order me up a sandwich, and I took a bite of the sandwich and chewed a little, and then made the call. And it, it, the rest of the people there thought I was antisocial, but it wasn't that I was antisocial. I, I just didn't want to take the time for things that might be enjoyable. And the question that I like, it's, uh, making cold calls, no. I did not like making cold calls. But after being a salesman door to door on the street in Staten Island, carrying bundles from door to door and collecting every week, because I only had people make small down payments to induce them to buy the the products from me. I sold every product you could think of. Furniture, clothing. We had resources on, in Manhattan that serviced my kind of guys. Door-to-door -door salesmen and, and um, peddlers. Uh, so, but, but the thing that I loved was at least when they hung up on me now, I wasn't going back out to my car in the middle of the winter where it was zero degrees and my teeth were chattering and I was dragging this stuff, heavy stuff, vacuum cleaners and different things I was carrying. And till, till the people opened the door, I'd stop at maybe five different doors, ring the bells. So my teeth, in the summer, my teeth weren't chattering, but I was sweating like a pig. So here I'm sitting in a warm office and uh, and also 
I got one of the guys gave me a secret. The top salesman in the firm gave me a secret. He said, "Just keep calling. Just, just. I don't know if you can do that today, because cold calling is not permitted. You have to have met the person. Say you join clubs, you you join groups, you you have friends to enjoy, introduce you. So it's still a form of cold calling. But in those days, you could look in the phone book or you could buy lists." And so, but it told me one out of one out of a hundred people is waiting for you. You know, it's like no matter how bad a salesman, when you tell them the story, or they want somebody to talk to, or they're lonesome, so they'll give you a, a break. Then he said, if you get to be really good, you'll do close two out of hundred. He says, but in the end, if you're the most sensational, you're, the most you'll ever close is maybe four or five out of a hundred if you're super sensational. So every time they hung up on me, I said, okay, that's not 99, 98. So that was a big help to me. But And then the rewards started coming in because every time I closed one, I knew what I was getting paid. I was getting 50% commission of the total commission, and I didn't know what the commission was. I know everything. It was it was fabulous. It was I didn't have to ask the boss if I'm getting a promotion or a raise. Even though if you did well, you did get promoted. Mm-hmm. How did you, um, and I think we're going to wind, wind down soon, but how did you handle, uh, you know, in the, with the cold calling, it was instant rejection and you can get right back on the horse. Um, but later on in your career, when you started doing larger deals, you know, that maybe took a few months uh, or even a year to, to complete, and then the deal falls through, or doesn't go through, no, or prospect. How do you how do you deal with that? You you always get rejections. I mean, you know, I used to uh, look at a lot of deals. You know, I became so much uh, famous for funding startups, young guys, or early stage companies. So I got a lot of submissions, and. You got to deal with that, you know. You got to read it. You got to see if you're betting on really the jockeys, on the young guys. So the first thing I had to do was determine if the kind of submission they made in the form of the business plan they were submitting was of a high quality. If they didn't have the brains to do that, then I knew I didn't want to meet with them. So that was the first stage. Um, then if they did stupid things like they do projections five years out and they'd say five years out I'm going to make be making uh, five million four hundred two thousand dollars and eighty six cents. If the five million was right, that would be a miracle. When they had eighty two cents at the end, it's like ridiculous numbers. So it shows they're not smart. So there were clues about that, and then finally. Others were smart enough to hire uh, assistants, uh, business plan. Uh, uh, today they call them decks or uh, or uh, what, what are they called? Presentation memorandums. No, what do what do they call them? Uh, the decks. Powerpoint. Power, powerpoints. Uh, you know, interesting. The decks, powerpoints, business plans. And they'd pay big money. They'd pay twenty-five, fifty thousand dollars for somebody to 
and they were very good. And then, based on that, I asked them to come in. And then the key meeting was, well, uh, these are the kind of guys that would be able to implement that plan. And a lot of them were jerks. You know, they, they made as ridiculous claims, or they, you know. So that was a key. In the, but a lot of them that I decided I wanted to do the deal for rejected me. That they, they didn't think I was offering enough, or, you know. So that was major disappointment after I invested a lot of time and energy and effort and had my people investigate and so forth. So that second, some that I thought were great, um, the guys were great, everything was great. In the end, they made me look like a fool because they failed drastically. Things changed, they, didn't, they were not adaptive. Some of them were so adaptive, the right guys, that even when, they, when their business plan failed completely, I gave them enough money, they started something else, completely different what they wrote in their business plan, and they made me, uh, they got listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So there's always, at every level, no matter how successful, uh, you have disappointments. Look, Elon Musk t today must be very disappointed in his move on Twitter. Maybe he's not, but you know, most of the moves he's made in his life have been sensational, terrific. So everybody makes mistakes. I don't know anybody that successful that hasn't made major mistakes. Okay, so after all this busy work that you've done, how do you wind down at the end of the day? What's your favorite meal? <laughs> uh, my favorite meal is junk food. <laughs> until, at least until recently, when my health has been less than it's been all my life. Uh, What's considered junk food? But, you know, uh, and also, um, like, I like Frankfurt hot dogs, so I'll, I'll stop off and get a hot dog and mustard and sauerkraut and french fried, or uh, I'll get off uh, to a deli in Manhattan. Corn beef or pastrami? Yeah, corn beef or pastrami, right. Which one do you or prefer? Bris or brisket. Uh, juicy and with french fried and Diet Coke and maybe coleslaw uh, or something, mustard, yeah, ketchup, whatever. So, and then I, I used to, for years, before I went to sleep, I had a, a pint of chocolate Haagen-Dazs ice cream or something. So I'm, I'm not the, the best role model, although now I'm on diets that keep me very healthy. My cholesterol's come down to nothing, uh, but I'm very... Uh, one of the secrets that the Talmud teaches you, if you can hit what... Or one of my friends is on a... I think they call it a Swiss diet. He, 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 he went to Mayo Clinic. He's 82 now. And the doctor at the Mayo Clinic was looking at his past uh, vitals and looked at his current vitals, and he says, Steve, his name is Steve Gorlin, brilliant guy, founded about six, seven major pharmaceutical companies that have been tremendously successful. And the guy looks at his recent uh, vitals, and he says, your cholesterol used to be 
up near 300, and now it's down to 40 or something. And, and your heart is like a, a, what do you call it, like a 20-year-old. And before you had uh, extra beats and uh, all kind of negative symptoms. He says, what did you do? He said, if, you, if everybody that does what you do, we'd have to close down the Mayo Clinic. I wouldn't have a job. So he says, well, some years ago I went on a diet where I'd only eat Mondays and Wednesdays. So I'd fast all day Monday and Wednesdays. I have a light meal Wednesday, Monday night, and then I only all day Tuesday, and then have a light meal Tuesday night, and I only all day Wednesday. And my weight came down, and my dress. So that's one approach. He adheres to it. He loves it. He says, "I run." I just. He's amazing. He's come down in weight. He's, and he's like, you know, I tell him he's got the piss and vinegar of a twenty-year-old. It's full of vim and he gets up early. The second one is the Talmud tell the, the, the sages in the Talmud tell you that if you want to never get sick, stomach illness, and you want to never get obese or fat and have uh, health problems, then chew all your food, keep it in your mouth till it's a soup, and then swallow it. And then you'll never have stomach troubles because your stomach won't be working, your liver won't be working to digest that food. But more important, even as you, 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 as you chew long, your brain will register that you, you ate a lot. And, and, and your mouth will get the joy of, the true joy of food because where do you get the joy of food? When it's in your, on your tongue, in your, in your mouth, when you have the taste, the temperature, the texture, all of the things that come with it with taste. And whenever I go out to eat with people that are obese, I'm up to my second bite of the hamburger and the french fry, and they've already finished because it's like how much they can get down into their stomach. And so it's, it's just natural that this works, but people don't do it. Yeah. You know, and the, the ones that I've ever convinced to do it have thanked me, and, 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 and it really does work. Yeah. Instead of going for operations and then having heart attacks or not giving up smoking, they're, they're simple things to do. One guy said, I kept reading, wherever I went, I kept reading, Smoking is bad for your health. Smoking could give you cancer. Smoking, I saw these signs, the outdoor signs. Smoking is, uh, is uh, 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 give you wheezing, uh, yeah. throat cancer. I got so disgusted, I gave up reading. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you know, it's, it's very important to, to take these suggestions Seriously, the, and the ones that don't really suffer major consequences. So life is easy if you follow the rules. Got it. What is your? I got the last question. Last two questions here. Yeah. Um, question number one: When did you become obsessed with chocolate? And question number two: Do you have a favorite TV movie or a book? Well, <clears throat> first of all, when I was young, I was a, I was a, had a, all kind of allergies. So one of the things I was allergic to was chocolates, cigarettes, smoke, uh, uh, tobacco, uh, 
carrots, uh, dust, feathers. I was allergic to a lot of things, and I spent a lot of years going to hospital. We were very poor. My father took me to clinics. We stayed in line, and he paid a quarter for me to see the doctor. We waited hours, and they tested me for these allergies. But the interesting thing is I was a, a, addicted. Uh, I was a, not addicted. I was... Uh, um, what did I say? What am I telling? Uh, allergic. Allergic. I was allergic to all these things. Now, now I'm addicted to all these things. I eat tons of chocolate. And uh, chocolate is... Uh, in recent years they found that chocolate's even good for you. So uh, I got over all those allergies and I couldn't eat anything these days. And uh, chocolate is one of my favorite things. And um, what was it? Favorite movie, TV show, or a book? Well, my favorite movie of all time is Gone with the Wind. Uh, the one that's voted most, most favorite by most Americans is Casablanca. Or, um, I mean, I have a whole list of great movies that I like. Uh, and then my, my TV is limited to sports. I like to watch, uh, uh, if I had the time, the Turner Classic movies, because they play all the great movies. A movie called Suspicion, which is super. Uh, Rear Window, which is fabulous. And all these uh, old uh, uh, comedies that, you know, slapsticks where I bust out laughing. So, you know, but I don't have time to watch, to watch those things. So, and my favorite of all is, uh, yeah, even though I was a kid, my father never took me to a football game. If he had, I'd done a football team years ago, and that would have been the best investment I ever made because teams that I could have bought for $20 million today are $5 billion or more. Yeah, we covered that last time. But yeah, I said, it, my, one of my son-in-law's, grandson-in-law's, pointed out to me, it was grandson's actually, Yoni uh, Reno uh, pointed out to me, thank God you didn't buy a team, Zaydi, because it's corrupting, you know, as kids, their families own teams, they've been corrupted, they, they've been dating uh, the, uh, what, what, what are the girls, the cheerleaders, the cheerleaders. Yeah. They've been out drinking with the guys. They've been spoiled brats. They, money's no object. They get into every, you know, we, you've taught us to work to make it instead of, uh, and so I appreciated that. God, God has prevent, prevented me from my worst instincts, but I love to watch the game. I appreciate the game. And, and I've said that so many people are getting hurt. Well, I think that's our time. Have you got it on Ensure? My cell phone. I think that's our it's time. It's our time. Anyway, I look forward to seeing you all next week. If you have any questions, send them in to me and I'll try to deal with them. And one of these days we'll do a live call-in so you can abuse me in person. And uh, again, thank you. I love you all. You're my favorite, favorite people. 
if I could do anything to help any of you, any of you with advice or any wisdom that you think is worth my conveying to you, if I have the time, I work still 24-7, I'm writing books and so forth. So, and I'm working harder than ever, even in business. I'm working on a cancer cure with that fellow I mentioned, Steve Gorlin. I think we've got a cancer cure through Baylor University Medical School. A genius who's been, Dr. O'Malley, who's been proposed for the Nobel Prize several times. Uh, and uh, it's not only a, a, a cure, it's a preventive and possibly for all cancer cures. So I'm working on that. I hope we have it out in a couple of years. But the indications are that it's going to work. And it will okay. eliminate all, all the, uh, the, the, what do you call it, chemotherapy and torture and drugs that that people are subjected to today for cancer and don't even cure anything. And, and the cancers come back. Anyway, God bless you all. I talk too much. Thank you.